0: up everybody welcome to episode 36 of the locker room we got an awesome interview today with our friend dave starman who's a college hockey analyst probably one of the best personalities there is in college hockey and he's also very involved with usa hockey he coaches around long island and other areas in the country um, an awesome guy and we're super excited that we got him on today
1: our first goalie boys are you kidding let's go i'm actually super pumped about that um and, yeah, I'm just super excited to get this Dave interview finally out. I mean, when I mean, we spoke to him for so long leading up to this interview. And, um, I mean, like I mentioned prior, we could just talk Dave for absolutely forever. So super pumped to, for you guys to hear this one. What's up, though, Maxie? It's good to see your face. I'm proud of you for stomping Lazzy's ass in golf the other week ago. That was always fun to see. He kind of gave up at the end. He uh, picked up his ball.
2: He didn't want to lose any more ball.
1: <laughs> I mean, how many strokes were you up by the end? I
2: think 21. A
1: lot. Did you give him? What would you give him? Nothing. (laughs) Oh,
2: that's bullshit,
1: Max. No,
0: no, no. no. We, like, usually shoot the same score. I just had a massive collapse. It was, was was, like, kind of close. I thought Max was just,
1: like, way better
0: than you at golf. No, Max defended me. Through 12, it was, like, three strokes apart,
2: and then I had a collapse. 12, it was not.
0: No. (laughs) No, it was, like, seven. It was at seven through the first nine, and then I made a little comeback on the back nine,
2: and then I just fell apart.
1: Was there booze? Oh, involved? you
2: did on one hole. On one hole, you made up some ground. But I, yeah. I, I think after nine, the closest the lead was was like maybe five. I thought it was like three. I thought I was scaring you a little bit. No, no, no.
1: Were you guys playing beer per hole or
0: what? I had, we had like two or three montalks. Yeah. We oh, like, two, yeah, I had two, or three montalks. Yeah, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't uh we didn't party too hard. <laughs> it wasn't uh. The, the, yeah.
1: the following
2: day, though, I played with uh, a few a few buddies, and that like. Drunkest I've ever been on the golf. You got shit face, bro. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I <laughs> <want> to bring. <laughs> I I have, by the way. Thank you, <laughs> bro. I already chirping, <laughs> <I> already chirping <laughs> Maxi.
0: Don't worry. Yeah. He got the Cali vibes going. He's ready like, to go. The real bros of Simi Valley or whatever.
1: I, I don't even watch that. Hey, boys, I do want to bring up. You guys didn't even mention this to me. Like I'm bring. I don't know why I'm bringing this up to you guys, before you got to drop the knowledge on myself. But the Caruso's won the softball tournament again, huh? Yeah, I saw that today yeah, actually. I, that. I mean that team. Unbelievable. No, I know. <laughs> I'm like messaged jo- I messaged Jordan and So when he posted the thing, I'm like, oh, surprise, surprise. That's
0: literally what I said. I said Not surprise. <laughs> That's <laughs> like what I said. I said the same thing. That's so funny. Unbelievable. But yeah, I did lose a bet to Maxi, and now I gotta run a mile around my neighborhood in uh, female clothing. So I'll have to do that when I get back home from California, which will be in the, a couple weeks. Or just do it in Cali. No, I'm just... <laughs> well, the whole point so people in town might see me. <laughs>
1: Cause I'm, Cause I'm the man. <laughs> Max, you should have made it like you should have made it like um, loser has to like stand outside like um, the deli and like with a like a sign that says like the locker room podcast. Maybe <laughs> hey, yeah, that's it's kind of funny. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I'll be next, next one, next one, you guys. Have. But speaking of delis, boys, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, Bagel Master. Uh, bagel Master is a family-owned bagel store located in Syosset. They've been a member of the community for over 30 years offering a wide range of not only bagels and homemade baked goods, but a full line of smoked fish and cold cuts. They also specialize in catered events and holidays. They pride themselves on their amazing food while providing even better service. If you don't know, now you know. Check them out on Instagram, at The Bagel Master, and you can also find them on Facebook. There's a reason they call themselves more than just a bagel store. And go try the new locker room sandwich if you haven't already. It looks fucking delicious. And it is delicious. I can defend it. I'm probably to get one tomorrow morning, honestly. <laughs> I feel like that's the like hangover sandwich, you know what I mean? It's well, not I, the sandwich you get every day. You go into a deli, but if you're hungover the next day, it's like man I could crush a locker room sandwich right now.
0: Definitely true, but I also heard like you can't bring or you can't get
1: food in the airport. I'm
0: flying for the first time since this all started. So I gotta oh, like really Is that yeah, that's what my mom told me. So I gotta um like, like get packed food. Yeah, I gotta food pack food.
1: Yeah, you can't bring like drinks, it's like liquids, right? It's like uh... Yeah, it's liquids, okay. But you could bring like like Chick-fil-A sandwiches wrapped up in a, in a bag. Yeah,
0: bag. Pretty um, sure no, I'm gonna go to Bagelmaster in the morning, get myself uh, a lock, egg and cheese, a locker sandwich, maybe some turkey sandwiches for, for for lunch, maybe some lettuce wraps, who knows? Who knows? I
1: don't know what's gonna happen. Maybe
0: avocado toast. I don't know. Pack the chicken salad it. sandwiches? <laughs> what's that that's what's that from? Uh uh, American uh pie? Naked mild. Yeah, mom's packing uh chicken salad. Yeah. <laughs> I love
1: that. Uh, boys, you want to get into a little bit of uh, oy or what?
0: Yeah, let's do it. I, I started last week,
2: though. I think we should give it a Max. Oh my, well,
3: oh my,
2: my, my oy My oy I'm going to do fantasy football. Ooh, I'm I'm gonna, I went into Monday Night Football needing a total of 16 points from Saquon Barkley and James Conner combined. They didn't get it from me. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: is an OI Maxi. You would expect at least double the points that you at needed. To do the the other
2: uh, the one thing that actually stood out to me for that is like props to all these like analysts, like Schefter, whoever whoever's doing the post game, whatever you want to call it, analytics. If I had to talk after that game about Saquon Barkley's game, and I had him in fantasy. Dude, shit on. Oh man, like I would, <laughs> I, I would, I would be giving like facial expressions. Def- like I would do a, such a poor job. And we obviously know, like all those guys, as part of the job, have fantasy teams. So.
1: Yeah, I kind uh, of had like a. I feel you though, Maxi. My, uh, I kind of had like a bittersweet fantasy. I obviously rooting for the Giants, but playing against Darius Slayton, who had an absolute performance and just shit on my chances of winning. So I lost week one. Kathy, what's your odds day? My oy boys. I got two. The first one's going to be, uh, the second one will be quick. The first one. So I'm kind of pissed. Um, one of the barstool podcasts brought this out and I was going to whip this out, but regardless, I'm going to say it in the first place. So I'm not a big dancing with the stars fan to begin with, but a week ago, my mom is, and she, she shows me this star studded cast. And the two people that stick out are Nelly and fucking Carol Baskin.
0: Another F-bomb. Mom, mom yelled him.
1: And friggin' (laughs) friggin' Carol Baskin from um, Tiger King. So I watched it last night. I sat down. First off, oy vey for seeing this. And then oy vey, they both danced to (laughs) their own songs. Nelly danced to one of his songs, and she danced to Eye of the Tiger, which was hilarious, and they both sucked. Uh, (laughs) So that was so funny. But my other oy vey really quick is the Dallas Stars comeback and winning in Game 7. That was absolutely insane. And I don't know if you guys saw that picture of Anton Hudobin of him just absolutely slugging beer and shit like that. Like, I'm that's just like my like he's my new idol. That's like me in a bottle. It's like just like a goalie that's just like just do whatever the hell he wants.
0: A goalie that can be fat and be good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess he's thumbed it up like that, but yeah. <laughs> And then I don't know if you saw the video of him too where like he got like the he like got the medal one. or whatever. Uh, I've watched that seventy-five times and he's like, We're not going home. Yeah, that was awesome. That was but that's great. my Oive.
0: What do you got, Les? That was great. I don't know if you guys have seen this. My Oive this week is The Social Dilemma on Netflix. you guys watch that? No.
2: Oh, dude. The, oh <laughs> Did man. you watch
1: it? No. Why? Yes, it's Max, it I don't want to
2: watch I like I don't need to watch. Like, that's one of those things. What is it? I, I, I just don't understand that. Well, you're not even going to – you don't even know what I'm going to say yet. Yes, I do. No, 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 no. Well, first of all, my mind
0: wasn't a blender, but the whole day my mom's like, let's watch something together. Like, after the Giants game, let's sit on the couch. I'm not working tomorrow. Let's, let's spend the night watching a movie together. So all right, I'm like, all right, I started The Social Dilemma last night. I fell asleep halfway through, but it was interesting. I'm, I'm curious about it. So I wait till nine thirty, ten o'clock when the Giant game's over. My mom comes downstairs so excited. Fifteen minutes
2: into The Social Dilemma, she's fucking snoring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! I was talking about something else on Netflix. No, yeah, no. what are you talking about? The social? Le- what are you talking about? I was talking about the one that's like of the French, the French twelve-year-olds that are like a twerking team. Oh no, you're so far off. <laughs> oh, okay. That's yeah. I thought well, when you said the network, the the Netflix, Netflix dilemma or something or social dilemma. I thought that was like what's what's going on with Netflix, the, the background no, 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 no. that they got from that.
0: You guys should actually watch this. So The Social Lemma is about, like, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those companies, and how, like, the, the artificial intelligence, how it's was created to be used as a tool 12 years ago when they first started to, like, connect people and everything, and just how it's kind of turned into this thing that they can't really control. It's kind of like that negative side of social media, but it's a really cool story. They have, like, a little movie within the documentary, but it's really interesting, honestly, and it kind of, like, freaked me out in a sense. Um, if, you, if you get paranoid pretty easily, I wouldn't recommend watching it. But definitely a must watch for everyone, I think. It just kinda kinda gives you a a better perspective on how we're addicted to our phones. But but that's my I Highly recommend you guys watch it.
1: La well, your oil days your mom falling asleep on you or or the, the whole thing in
0: general? Kind of the whole thing in general, but more of a fact that like how many times is, like your parents said let's let's watch a movie on the couch the other night, let's spend quality time and then they fall asleep and they're snoring the whole time.
1: Yeah, I'm usually just like no, I'm going upstairs.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, my mom was like, she was like, kept apologizing. I was like, just, just
2: go. It's the third time you like snored, and I woke up and like, just, just go upstairs. I do that. That's you. Like I'll, I'll pa- I'll pass out
1: mid movie, unless it's like something you're unless lost it's into. like a
2: new movie. If it's, yeah. uh, if it's something that I've seen, just like hanging out rerun. I'll probably pass out. Maybe. Speaking of falling
1: asleep, falling asleep in movies, I'm gonna throw my girlfriend under the bus here. Uh, she felt the first time she watched the movie The Miracle. This is like way back in the day when we were earlier dating. She fell asleep through, and I'm like, this is unacceptable. Did she? Did she at least know the story? Like the of like the miracle of the movie?
0: Yeah, she knew. I like
1: explained the whole thing prior to her. I did the same thing to Ellie, and then and then
0: when Aruzioni scores the winning goal, she's like, how much time left? did they win? And I was like, it wouldn't be a movie if they didn't win. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's really yeah. called miracle. Like, like, I'm, I'm They're like quoting every line, like just, like, yeah. just like, looking at me, like "Who the fuck are you?" Yeah, uh, it's hilarious. I'm happy you said that because awesome. I've been dying to tell that story. I'll have you. <laughs> You've been waiting. Yeah. Oh my!
0: I forgot about it until you just said that. I was giving her so much shit for that. That was awesome.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Ellie, um, nice Instagram post, Ellie. I Love it. Laz looked so hot in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. I'm just gonna hope Ellie doesn't hate me for that. Like Lassie. No, just- no, she knows. She knows. She won't. Like, it's good. Laz has just been throwing so much shade on that, and I'm just like, fine, I'll chirp you for it. I don't give a fuck. Well, I'm really, you're really into Epon tonight, but I'm really against the whole PDA thing, so I don't really like that she posted
0: a picture of us kissing. I wasn't really about that. But I do think we should get into the interview with Dave. We've we've rambled on a little bit here. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy it. We love Dave, and we can't wait to have him back on.
1: This guy is from Rockaway Beach and was bar mitzvah at Temple Beth-El. Since then, he has gone to play at the University of Hartford as a goaltender for two years before getting some pro hockey action in the minor leagues. He then went on to become the youngest coach in the Central Hockey League history when he took over the Memphis River Kings at age 31. Once his playing days and coaching days ended, he decided to get into the media side of the game of hockey by joining WFAN as an analyst as well as a game analyst for the New York Islanders radio network. In 2003, he joined CBS Sports Network as a college hockey game analyst, and now he has worked for almost every network in the game. He has done games for Big Ten Network, ESPN, the American Sports Network, and the NHL Network, and recently became a scout for the new NHL team coming to Seattle. He has become one of the most respected college hockey TV analysts and is a staple in the USA hockey community. We're so happy to have him. Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, Dave Starman. Dave, what's going on?
3: Oh, not much guys. Just, you know, grinding through a pandemic and trying to find some ice and trying to keep our sanity. But other than that, I think we're doing the same thing everybody else is doing, just day by day, seeing what tomorrow brings us.
0: You look pretty tan though, you walking the Long Beach boardwalk every day or
3: what? <laughs> uh a little little biking around Long Beach, a lot of tennis, and that's you know, it's hey listen, when you don't have a lot of hair, it's easy to get your face tan, you know? <laughs>
1: I miss, I'm not going to lie, I miss living in Long Beach, not like every day, but man, I think about it all the time. It's just such a great area. Like, I feel like it's such a great area to grow up in. Like, when I'm older, like, I feel like I could see myself living there, you know what I mean?
3: It's a great spot. I mean, you got two distinct sides of it between the West End and the East End. The West End is more kind of like party central, smaller streets, a little bit more clustered together. The East End, probably a little bit more the residential with only one commercial street, but both. Sides that have great vibes, and then you've got the opposite ends of the Barrier Island with Atlantic Beach, and then on the eastern side, Point Lookout and Lido Beach. It's it's a really nice Barrier Island to live on if you if you keep up with the climate change projections, we could be underwater in 50 years. But for now, it's great. <laughs>
0: are, are things open out there? Like I heard, uh, I actually heard Lido Beach is a pretty nice golf course. I'm trying to make my way out there. Ooh.
3: yeah, the Lido Beach golf course is open, and most of the Barrier Island is open for outdoor dining now. Anything that's indoor is is not going right now, and there are places that have big parking lots next to them, so they've used the parking lots for outdoor dining, which has been really smart. You know, Oceanside Island Park, we're seeing that also. So everybody's kind of making the best of of a bad situation, but it's summer, it's a beach town, and there's no doubt there's a bit of a vibe there. It's not the same vibe as other years, but people are out and about, and I would say for the most part, they're being smart, they're being safe, and they're playing by the rules.
1: What's going on with uh, the arena in Long Beach right now? Is there skates going on and stuff?
3: I know that usually this is around the time to do some maintenance in there, so hopefully yeah. we get LBA open. I, let's put it this way. Long Beach is an awesome, awesome hockey town. There are a lot of kids and a lot of adults that play hockey in Long Beach. I mean, this is a great, great hockey community in Long Beach, New York, and there's a lot of kids that want to get on the ice and a lot of adults that do too get back playing men's league.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, Long Beach is where I play league, And it, the, the coolest thing is in Cappy, I know you know, the Pews is um, these look, kids, look. like, go from their softball league to their roller hockey games and then come in literally on roller skates into the ice arena and get dressed for a Mensley ice game. Like, being a Long Beach man, you get to, you get to play every well, single sport, like, <laughs> literally every day. It's unbelievable.
1: Well, I got to say, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you hit it around the head. And you mentioned the pews. I got to give a little shout out to my boy, Liam. They've been doing, um, I forgot what's where exactly he lives in Long Beach, but they've been running these like volleyball tournaments every day on the beach. And I'm just like, Oh my God, dude, I'm so jealous right now. Obviously social distance, distancing to the best they possibly can. But yeah, I mean, you hit it, you hit it on the head too, Johnny. The hockey community is so strong there too. And, um, it's just a great atmosphere, but Dave, I want to get into it a little bit. Um, so We're speaking about Long Island. Um, obviously it's a highly populated Jewish area. We know this. We talked to Johnny about this. Um, was your family really religious growing up?
3: I you know, my dad came from Orthodox parents. My mom came from conservative parents, which led me to be reformed quickly. And I would say right now as a group we are we would identify. I wouldn't say that I mean my dad is still somewhat religious. He's he has mainstreamed it a bit more. So I would say we are more traditional than anything. And, you know, I will do my day in temple on, you know, on Yom Kippur at night to hear the chauffeur sound to, to end it. And, but, you know, here, here's my thing. I've said to my kids, you know, embrace it how you want and explore it how you want because that should be your own personal choice.
1: How's your chauffeur blowing, Show, shofar blowing skills? I haven't blown a shofar in ages. I'm not going to lie.
3: <laughs> I, I'll tell you this. It's, uh, I, I remember. Back in Hebrew school, they let everybody try it, and you know I was okay, but it—it's you know, not anything I would base my career on. But my dad's good buddy yeah, right. is the guy that 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 does it for the temple that we go to, and I mean this guy cranks it. You could, he, I think his record is like sixty-two seconds or something. like It's unreal, you know. So he, he's kind of our—he's kind of our uh, our inspiration when it comes to the show blowing stuff.
2: What's it like, tekiyah? Right, that's what it is. <laughs> I it.
1: And he
3: goes, you know, he, does, <laughs> he hits that note and he's off.
1: They teach you, you're supposed to like, I remember they teach you, they're supposed to like spit, not like spitting it, but you're supposed to like try and like basically you're rolling your R. I don't even know, but I could never fucking do it.
3: Listen, I was a bass clarinet player, and I had enough time doing that playing whole notes. So I thought of. Playing that thing with that kind of mouthpiece. I can't even imagine.
1: Oh, you should have been a pro then. You were a bass clarinet player. Are you kidding? You should have been a pro at the shofar. That should have been like an easy transition.
3: Yeah, listen, I think they, I think they enjoyed my charm and wit in the band. I definitely wasn't the bass clarinetist for my skills. There's, that's for sure.
1: I was a second chair trombone myself (laughs) in fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna it's a say great right. social
3: activity, right? You get in the band and have fun not with it. Uh, on the in the jazz band, I was better. You know, I was either guitar or bass in the jazz band. That actually had some proficiency with that. I earned my spot in. But on the other side of it, I I guarantee I was there for filler as opposed to anything else.
0: Are you like Ron Burgundy with the jazz flute?
3: <laughs> not, <laughs> not even close. My wins end with that clarinet. Funny, both of my kids want to clarinet players too. How you know how ironic?
0: Yeah, it's actually funny. I saw your sons in the UMass band.
3: Yeah, he loves it. He he had the time of his life for the marching band. You know, football didn't didn't go great, but they they had a blast. And that band is four hundred strong. They call themselves the I think it's either the Power and Class of New England. Yeah, the Power and Class of New England. And when they get going, I mean, like wow, you can hear them in Boston. I mean, they are unreal. And the fact that the band is so big, it gives them such a strong sound. It's a really good band, and you know, they need the pep band for basketball and hockey. It was really cool last year because I did a UMass Merrimack game on Nesson and it was really neat to be in the broadcast booth and look down to my left and see my son in the pep band, you know, thinking to myself of, uh, you know, he was probably one or two years old when I did my first college game, and how many college rinks have I been in, and how many bands have I sat and watched. It was really neat to actually be doing a game and seeing my own kid in the band. So that was that was really cool.
0: Did it kind of distract you, like, while you are calling the game a bit? Like, I guess if they're, if they're jamming and you want to, like, watch him, but, like, you kind of lose – Side of the play. Uh,
3: well, the good thing they're only playing on whistles, right? So that you know that was certainly a help. But yes. uh, no, I I will say this: when they cranked up, I I definitely took my headset off and watched. It was it was really nice.
1: Yeah, dude. Honestly, the, the pet bands are crazy. Like not only just in hockey, but I mean, like I remember we played at Michigan Tech when I was at Ferris, and they had a great fan base, but their pet band was like nothing I've ever seen. They were like marching around the stadium like prior to the game. And this was also their, like, winter uh, carnival event or whatever, so they packed house every night. But, man, their pep band was fucking nuts. And I loved playing in that atmosphere, but don't get me wrong. But I feel like talk, talk going back to uh, you playing an instrument, I feel like there's somebody on every team that's, like, like, very good at playing an instrument. Is that just me or is that you guys, too? Like, did you have somebody on Mercyhurst or that was, like, just, like, nasty? Yeah, we had a guitar guy.
3: <laughs> Everybody's it's got fun. their guitar group. There was a – I'm trying to think of the school. It'll come to me by the end of this but there was one, it might've been Maine, but there was one team I know where there were like six or seven guys on the team that all played guitar and they actually formed a, an acoustic guitar band. and would play on campus. I, I'm thinking it was Maine and I'm thinking it was like the, you know, the mid part of the last decade, but maybe by the end of this, I'll actually get it right and figure out who it was. But apparently they were awesome. North Dakota, I know, had a, had a group of guys too that that were pretty good.
0: I'd love to be those guys. They are probably, killers at the bar my god they could play guitar around there on the d1 hockey team dynamite <laughs> exactly
1: right <laughs> the best of both worlds a good
3: trick to have
0: <laughs> well i, I want to get back into talking about your bar mitzvah a little bit um can you tell us about the party did you have
3: a theme i i don't remember the theme all i do remember is i wore a cream colored three-piece suit and i remember the ceremony went well i i, I was up, i remember being being up up there and getting ready to go, and the rabbi walked over to me, and he said to me, he goes, are you ready? And I told him, I said, I'm psyched. Let's just get this moving. And he looked at me, he goes, nobody's ever answered me that way. He goes, because everybody's usually scared to death of doing this. I'm like, you know, just let's roll. And did it, and it went fairly well For what I remember. The party was great. We had a We had a band, and the band leader's nickname was The Count. And I remember he had, like, kind of one of those pointy goatees kind of thing. He looked like, you know, The Count from Sesame Street. And he was nuts, but the party was great, and you know I can't say I got a lot of great memories from it, but I, I do remember enjoying it. And you know, hey, so once you do it once, and you make the most of it. The uh, I remember my cake was a rink, and I know there was a puck in the middle of it, and it was done up really nicely. Like it, that that was pretty cool.
0: I know we talked about Kenny and Barry Barry Trotz remaining on the road a little bit, and I know you have a good story about that. If you want to get into it a little bit.
3: Well, you know, when Kenny wasn't with us on certain trips, you know, Barry and I would room together and those are you know, Barry and I spent a lot of time together in the video room just kind of chatting about how to do video and how to break down things and, you know, he, he taught me a ton and talked about advanced scouting and, and that kind of stuff. He's a huge mentor of mine. He probably doesn't realize the impact that, that he's had on me, even though I try to tell him every chance I get to see him. And and it was really neat because when I was the head coach of the Memphis River Kings, Barry was the head coach in Nashville and we were loosely affiliated, so I always thought it was It was a neat, you know, kind of tie up of the circle that we wound up in the same organization at the same time, both as head coaches. But um, there was one time we were on the road, and it was like a six-game trip, and we we, our last two games are going to be in New Haven, but it was a Tuesday night and a Friday night. So instead of playing Tuesday night and going back to Baltimore and then coming back, we just stayed at a residence inn in New Haven, right by the New Haven Coliseum. And Barry and I were rooming, and I remember we check in, and Barry says, hey, uh, grab some money. Let's go. We're going to go out. And I'm thinking to myself, we're going to go out like we're going to go out. And you know, I had played at the University of Hartford, so I knew New Haven fairly well. I'm like, hey, I got some spots we can go to. And he's like, no. And he goes, we're going to go to the supermarket. We're going to load up for the next three days on food so we don't have to waste per of going out to dinner. And I'm like, okay, great. So we go to the store. And on that trip, that was the trip where Barry taught me how to cook. But on this trip, like we are, we're going through the the aisles and He's picking fruit and vegetables and he's, I don't know if you ever saw the original odd couple, the scene with Jack Lemmon squeezing the, the melons for the lady to explain to her whether or not they're ripe or not. But this is what Barry was doing. It was a riot. I'm thinking to myself, here's this brilliant hockey guy. Here's this pro coach and, and he's teaching me how to figure out if a melon's ripe and if bananas are good and let them yellow first before they're green and what sauce goes with, you know, what meats and I, I loved it. It was so <laughs> outside of being a great hockey mentor, he, I could, Credit a lot of my culinary success to him too.
0: I know you also want to talk about the Huntsville Brawl if you want to tell that story a bit too, while, while you're on it, while you're a little fired oh, up here.
3: Well, this has the Jewish theme to it and this is why it was, we were, I was the assistant coach of, of the Macon Whoopi, that group right there. And the, we're playing in Huntsville, Alabama and us and the Huntsville Channel Cats had a great, great rivalry. And you know, we were the young, quick team, kind of made the mold of the Montreal Canadiens and you know they were a bit of an older veteran team, kind of made in the mold of the Charleston Chiefs. And you know we go in there and it was, a, it was a seven o'clock game, but the ice was bad, so we got delayed a little bit. So the game didn't start until about eight thirty, and and their fans are pretty greased up at the time. And I'm convinced their players were at happy hour too because they didn't play very well for the for the first period. And we're up three zero, and in that building that was rare to be up 3-0 on them, no matter how well you're playing. And there's about three seconds to go in the first period, and I see the line change they make. They face us right in front of our bench. And they sent over five goons to take this draw. And I turned to my head coach, John Parrish Jr., who, who was kind of historic because he was the first black head coach in pro hockey history. And I turned to John. I went, hey, call timeout. And he's like, why? Because look who they put, just put on the said, call timeout. I'm, like, I'm not calling timeout because nothing's going to happen. Before they drop a puck, we wind up with a six-on-six line brawl. It turned into a bench clear. It was a mess. So, anyways – on the bench, the officials, I don't know if you've ever been down to the Von Braun Center in Huntsville, but the benches oh, yeah, are together. Yeah, 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 Right
1: I played there when I was a therapist, yeah, of course. Okay. So the benches are
3: together. You know, there's that hallway right behind the bench. And so the officials, instead of just putting everybody in the penalty box, they figure the period's over. Let's just get everybody off the ice. Now that was the last game where both teams actually used the same hallway to enter and exit the building. After that game, that protocol changed completely, but they're, they're trying to get the players off. And what's happening is Huntsville's players are coming off and they're coming back onto our bench. Keep fighting. That's almost why it became a, a bench, a, you know, a full bench clearer because our yeah. guys were jumping off the bench because they didn't want to fight on the bench. They figured it'd be better fighting on the ice. So it was kind of like, get them off. They start fighting again. They come back on. It was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a mess. John, who is all of five foot six was standing by the back of the bench, kind of defending the back of the bench. It was kind of like that scene on Les Mis, of, you know, with the students defending the barricade. And I look over and all of a sudden I realize John is missing. And John had a couple of health issues. So I'm thinking like John got trampled and he's dead. You know, like he's laying in the hallway and that's it. And I'm like, holy shit. So, so I go running off, I'm like the hell with this. I go running off into that hallway. And you remember how there used to be posts that were in that hallway. So I go into the back and John is chained to a post with this humongous redneck white cop standing right next to him. And I'm looking at this scene in Huntsville, Alabama. And I'm like, that's a bad optic. So I am screaming at the cop and and you call him every name in the book and, just, you know, just being a typical New Yorker. And John calls me over and he says to me, he calls me, I said, what's the matter? I said, too much? He goes, Dave, if they knew you were Jewish, you'd be chained to this post with me. Just shut up. <laughs> and that, that ended my involvement in the argument. So long story short, we got the game going and had to bail John out of jail and take him back. But I just, I will never forget that night because it was, I, I just thought John's line at time, place, and opportunity was one of the great, things I'd ever said regarding me being Jewish in pro hockey.
0: Not even concerned yeah. about his own being. It was all about you just shut your trap. It was just,
3: just, yeah. ju- Dave, if they knew you were Jewish, you'd be chained to this post with me, so just shut up.
0: Yeah. Well, I also want to ask on top of that, I mean, I know you played pro a little bit. Have you gotten any scraps yourself?
3: I would say this. My pro career as a player, an actual game time lasted, let me see, seven seconds if I'm lucky, maybe a little more than that. It was, like, I came out of retire- retirement to back up <laughs> Uh, a few times during my minor league career but but you know for the most part uh, calling it a playing career was generous you know most of my pro time was was on the coaching and the scouting side but but there was one game where we didn't have enough players we're going to columbus georgia to play our in-state rival and we were the two hottest teams in the minor leagues at the time i think both of us were on 21 game unbeaten streaks they had a couple more wins than we did but both teams were red hot so we go to columbus on a saturday night and you know we didn't have enough players to to play the game because of some injuries and some calls and stuff. So I had to get activated as a player, not a goalie, to play in this game. And John got thrown out of the game. I'm coaching the game in my uniform. It was, you know, like I felt like Reggie Dunlop. Like I'm sitting on the bench in my uniform changing lines. And we got into a situation where we had a couple of bench minors. So we were down five on three, and I figured I'm not going to waste the guy serving. I'll go serve it. So I just told our captain, you know, you know the PK, you change. But I was the first guy out of the box on one of the penalties expired so I charged towards the defensive zone I had gotten to about the blue line they scored and all I kept thinking to myself was that's gonna be my line for the rest of my life minus one Until I realized shorthanded goal it's not a power play goal no big deal but my actual playing career uh in regular regulation games was all about seven seconds
0: Kenny actually told us it was 12 so he might have been a little generous
3: (laughs) Uh, maybe (laughs) I mean there were a couple times but I'll tell you what it was I wouldn't have traded it for the world. I mean, it was just one of the cool things. The fact, you know, the, like when I was in Baltimore, I getting to practice with the skip Jacks was pretty neat. You know, I mean, we had some great goalies back then. You know, Holy Kozak was there. Byron Defoe was there. Jim Casey or Jim Kerry was there. Uh, Dwayne Dirksen was on the way. Uh, Jimmy Ribnack was there. Sean Simpson was there. I mean, we like, we, we had some good ones. And so that was, and Warren Stralo was the goalie coach. You know, Warren is the, the dean of, you know, American goaltending. He and Dave Peterson, I, I always find it funny. Like every time I go out to the Stralo camp, USA Hockey does. I look around at everybody and I think to myself, the only person in this building that has ever been on the ice with Warren Stralo is me, and and I kind of have some pride in that.
0: (laughs) As you should. And Warren
3: used to get out there. By the way, Warren used to get out there in his hunting vest and his boots, and work with the goalies. Like he wasn't on skates. You want to talk about old school. I mean, no skates, no stick, no gloves. Warren, and Warren jeans, boots, hunting vest. And a ball cap, and that's how he did it.
1: Country boy. That that reminds yeah. me of uh, when I used to play for Applecore I feel like that's what Henry Lazar looked when he was coaching on the ice with us. He,
3: you know, he <laughs> might have been better off being in his shoes and and the oh, yeah. jacket <laughs> as opposed to being on his skates. But you know, they, I, I was joking them about whether or not he was going to get the bi blades out there because I always thought single bladed he was a little challenge. But for for <laughs> a guy for a guy who had really no skating ability whatsoever, he produced a lot of really good teams. So that's one he thing did. we can agree on.
1: That is definitely true. And I wanted was- to chime in there, too, when you were talking about um, the the line brawl, that Mackin' Whoopi jersey you got in the background. Was that uh, before the Mac and Mayhem? Is that, like, who took over? Is that who it is now? So it was in, in 72-73,
3: they were the Mackin' Whoopies, and they played in the old Southern Hockey League, and that team lasted about half a season before they disbanded. But the neat story from that team, had, the player coach on that team was Kiki Mortensen, who wore number 99. And during our tenure in Macon, and I might have the old jersey laying around here in the office. If I find it, I'll bring it out. But uh, we we did a a night to honor the old Macon Whoopies, and we retired Kiki's number 99, his family there, he had passed away. So the reality is Gretzky's 99 is retired through the NHL, but the first pro organization ever retired the number 99 was us. And so they they were the original Macon Whoopies to start with. And then when we came back as an expansion team in the Central Hockey League, uh, we became the Macon whoopee, no S. We were there, John and I were there for three years. I think the team lasted another three or four, and then they moved. And then Macon got another team. They were the Macon Tracks, because Macon was a big railroad junction during the Civil War. So they, they became the Macon Tracks after that. That lasted for a couple of years. And then when the Southern Pro League kind of came back alive, they became the Macon Mayhem.
1: Okay, that's what I thought. So getting more to the Jewish side because I know we love talking about hockey, we could just go on for hours. Um, I know it's, I speak to Laz about the Maccabi games a lot and his experience. Obviously, I, I didn't get the experience to go there. I kind of backed out last minute. Um, but have you been to Israel and were you there because of the Maccabi games?
3: I was there when I was 13 as a bar mitzvah gift for my grandparents, and it was. Oh, that's a good bar mitzvah was, gift. Yeah, it was one of the coolest trips I'd ever taken, and uh, I mean, I wish I could find the pictures. But it was it's a great trip. I went with some cousins and. And we toured all over the place and it was great. As a matter of fact, I created a bit of an incident on Masada because I left a, my bag up there in what were the old shower area up on, on the top of the building. And we got back down to the bottom and realized that I didn't have the bag. So the tour guide went up to get it. He came back down and he was pale as a ghost. I'm like, what's the matter? And he's like, well, you know, the Israeli army is up there because anytime you leave a bag somewhere like that's unattended, you know, they think it's a bomb. Yeah. So he, goes, yeah. <laughs> I had to, he goes, with Uzis out, I had to identify everything in the bag because I wasn't sure everything was there. Because but I got your stuff for you. Uh, but uh, it was, it was a great, great time. That was the only time I'd ever been there. But, you know, regarding the Maccabee games, I think, you know, that's kind of a bucket list item for sometime later in my career. And, and hopefully, you know, that comes to fruition. Maybe, you know, maybe my son Ryan will play in it, uh, either on the junior side or the, you know, the over 20 side, whatever the case may be. When that presents an opportunity, I think it'd be really neat. I helped Billy Jaffe with the team a couple of years ago just, from a practice standpoint and it looks like a really neat event
1: you should play in it
3: yeah i was gonna say who me
1: yeah, yeah you The over good 50 position,
3: broken dude. down division
0: that would be- <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say if you should play i mean i know me and my teammates that played in 2017 are talking about going back when we're like older and you know to get away from our wife and kids one day go to israel play hockey for a week Chill. I mean, but there was guys, like you said, Billy Jaffe was in the USA men's team, and then a guy like Alexei Zhitnik, I don't know if you remember him, the defense sure, yeah. on the Islanders. He was on, like, I don't even know the country, whatever country he's from. But, no, it was cool. I mean, these guys looked like they were having an absolute blast, like literally just a guy's trip in Israel playing hockey. Like, you
3: never get that anywhere else, you know. All right, so a good Long Beach story, but the last time I actually played a competitive game, uh, <laughs> right after a couple, about three years after Sandy, there were a lot of renovations on the Long Beach Arena, and the Rangers had donated – Somewhere between like fifty and hundred thousand dollars to that practice ring to get it go because that was the Rangers old practice drink in the seventies. So the we we played a like a charity alumni game like six or seven Ranger alumni came to play in the game along with a lot of the Long Beach based coaches and stuff like that. So I my second shift of the game I'm going hard to the net and I felt a pop and couldn't get up and Joe Brand who was running the Long Beach Apple Corps Youth Club at the Joe. Time, and, Yeah, Joe's a legend in Long Beach. I'm laying there. I could barely move. And Joe skates up to me. He goes, you okay? I went, I said, I'm not so sure. I said, my groin doesn't feel great. And he goes, I wouldn't surprise you. He goes, because your nuts are laying in the crease. And (laughs) I was just I the best. So that was the last competitive game I played, and I so badly pulled my groin, I pulled it off the bone. So if there's any competing going on for me at any level moving forward, it'll be behind the bench.
0: You to be like Jackie Moon, Get, get one shift in and then leave the coach. Yeah, we could do that too. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's funny you talk about Joe. Um, Got to give him a—I sh- mean, you already gave him a shout out—but uh, such a great person. I—I I was playing for the Long Beach High School my one year, um, and he was our head coach, so it was pretty, uh, pretty great. But I'm pretty sad to hear about Brand's Delicatessen closing. Uh, that's pretty upsetting. That was my go-to spot when I was living in uh, Long Beach.
3: Yeah, Joe did a nice job there. That was a, that was the hockey hub of Long Beach. Outside of the rink was Brand's Deli for sure.
1: Oh, so good! They had like all different sandwiches named after like different uh, like famous players or like Stanley Cups. I don't know a couple specific ones, but um, it was great.
3: Uh, I don't. Here's, I know Joe sold it. I don't know if it's actually closing. I know Joe sold it, but with this with the pandemic thing, I'm not quite sure what the what the update is now. But it's been around for a couple of years, kind of post Joe.
1: Definitely. Um, so, I want to get into a little bit about how you started your broadcasting career. Um, is that something you always wanted to pursue? And then, who have been some of your favorite people to work with in the booth? It
3: was not something that I ever thought about pursuing. I remember always said to me that I talked a lot. And, uh, <laughs> I, I always was a student of the game. So, I mean, maybe those two factors were something that led me towards it. But, you know, it's funny. I remember, like, when I was in goal during games to keep my mind mentally active, I, I kind of did play by play of the games to myself just, just to stay a little bit more engaged as opposed to, you know, just kind of staring off into space or staring at my skates. But I, I, the opportunity started when Kenny Albert went to Baltimore his first year is when the whole thing started. Kenny's my first broadcast partner. And I remember him saying, you know, Hey, get down here and do some, we'll do some games and you know, that will be great. And, you know, we did a ton of them over two years ago. So, you know, working with Kenny on the radio was what opened me up to, to working with a guy like Barry and Robbie Lair and the coaching staff and you know, Joel Quenville was there that year was playing his last pro year and, you know, wow. watching a veteran like Joel interact with some of the younger kids. And so, I mean, it was just a great environment to, to be in. And the, but working with Kenny was awesome. Like working with Kenny really fueled my, my passion to, to want to be an analyst. And we had a great time in the air. We had a lot of laughs and a lot of misadventures good bus rides and drives and, and, and really enjoyed it. Some, some great games. Uh, first time I ever swore on the air was, was doing a game with him and, and, you know, whoops, but we got through it. I remember one game I, he was gone. So I had to do play by play. The bus driver was my color guy. Like we had all kinds of adventures going on that way, but Kenny was my first guy that, that I ever worked with. And, and then Dan Kamal was doing the Hershey Bears. I used to shoot up there and do some TV with, with him. So he's probably my first TV partner. And, you know, those guys were wonderful. That was back in, you know, 1991, 91, 92. And, you know, then the American Hockey League game of the week came about. It was produced by a company in Canada and was shown. Nationally up there on CHCH and, and down here in the States on sport, what was then Sports Channel America. And I had some great broadcast partners. I worked with Joe Beninati who's done the caps and, and was doing verses when they still had it. Uh, John Forsland does the NHL and NBC was one of my yep. partners doing that. Don Stevens, who's been doing the Rochester Americans forever was, was another one of my partners that. So, I mean, that was, that was really cool too. But, you know, straight through, it's really hard for me to identify, you know, bad people. I've had to work with. everyone one play-by-play guy that I didn't get along with great, but for the most part, uh, I've been really lucky. Like, I've worked with hundreds of hundreds of people, whether it be on camera or behind the scenes, and uh, I would be really hard-pressed to find a complaint about any of them.
0: Another guy that comes to mind that I know had an influence on you was a guy like Stan Fischler, who I know we've talked about previously, and I know you worked at Cosby's, which was like a huge staple if you were a young Ranger fan growing up. Oh, it was awesome. I know my dad always took me to the store to get a jersey, you
3: know, before my first Ranger game, but
0: Can you talk about Stan Fischler and then also about your experience just working at Cosby's and how like iconic that store was?
3: Well, I give Stan a lot of credit because there are still some parts of my game that I credit to Stan in terms of how you address the camera and ways you look and facial expressions and body posture. I learned a lot from Stan as an early mentor and Stan's been great to me ever since we started working together. My my only regret is Stan and I never, ever were on air together. I mean, that kind of would have tied everything up really nicely, but, but he's he's done wonders for me, and, and he's a great guy to keep in touch with. And if Stan doesn't wind up in the Hall of Fame in the builder section or the media section, something's wrong. I mean, the, the guy has been a, just an outright rock star, when it, especially in the New York area too. All the I mean, I grew up in hockey reading all of Stan's books. I mean, that's what fueled a lot of my passion and my history of the game. And then working at Cosby's was great because you never knew who was going to come walking in on a game night, whether it be the players or coaches or you know other. Famous related hockey people. I had some great conversations. A lot of big names who just kind of came in to either buy equipment or buy a shirt or buy a sweater or whatever the case was. It was great. And then through that, you know, it was cool because there were nights where you know Mike Cosby would say, "Hey, you, you know, you, you want to help out around the locker room? They need one more body," and that kind of thing. So, you, so that created a little secondary thing too. It was a it was an awesome experience. Mike Cosby was a great guy to work for. The Cosby history is really neat. I mean, Jerry Cosby was our gold medal winning goalie the 1938 world championships i mean not a lot of people know that everything jack mccarton jim craig mike richter you know as goalies that have won gold with the u.s but you think back you know jerry cosby was our first
1: i didn't know that either that's crazy
0: and cappy i know you're a, a florida guy but when you cosby's was like the store when you walk into msg it's like this big sports store like right before you kind of get through the gates of the yeah. arena so that like, was
3: the meeting point. Everybody used to say if they were taking a Long Island not- Railroad in or parking, in, meet me at Cosby's and then we'll go in.
0: Yeah, it was it was literally so iconic. And like you said, I think I actually I'm sure I met you there when I was like a ten year old kid. But uh, I knew <laughs> Sam Fisher, you know, signed a book for me and gave it to me, and and that was something that I you know I remember for a really long time. But I also want to ask about now that you have obviously been through the broadcasting business a little bit, you kind of are influencing the younger ones like Colby Cohen who told us that you probably have one of the worst tie styles he's ever seen. I, I, I know you want to defend yourself a little bit.
3: Hey, well, hey, listen, if, if Colby's a he's a good <laughs> dude, dresses nicely, nice-looking kid on camera. He's got no business telling me about my ties. I mean, like, my, <laughs> my feeling is if you're going to be on air, wear a tie that stands out. I, I hate boring ties. I've said it for years. No disrespect to anybody who likes the conservative tie style, but if it's not a Garcia, it's not for me. If it doesn't have four or five colors and abstract patterns and lines all over the place and things exploding, I don't, I have no interest in it whatsoever. And, and that's always been my staples has been my ties. And I, I tried to explain that to Colby, but I, you know, he took the the other approach to it and and that, you know, that's all well and good. He listened, he listened to the important things, which was some of the techniques of the business. So he's, and he's doing a great job for himself, but uh, I, I'm a firm believer in loud ties, but I'll tell you a funny story. I was, I was doing ESPN studio for a lot of the regionals way back when, and, you know, we'd be in studio for three days. And I remember I got an email from one of our producers and it wasn't a great email and it had something to do with my tie selection. I was a little offended and <laughs> they, they gave me the number of their stylist. who was based in Dallas. And I'm like, this is a big to do about nothing. So I call the stylist up and I'm like, what's going on? I love my ties. I'm really offended. And she was like, don't be offended. She was, I love your ties too but I'm gonna send you a screenshot of you on camera from last weekend and I want you to tell me what you think. And she sent me the screenshot and it's basically me just like this, like you're seeing me now, maybe a little lower and in the bright, intense, high definition lights of a one shot in a brightly lit studio, all you saw was tie. Like you literally, no matter where you looked in that screen, the tie grabbed your eyes. So she said, that's the problem. Tie's too loud for the setting that you're in like no matter what you say do look like whatever you're going to give somebody the finger they want to notice all they're seeing is your tie it's exploding i'm like okay i get it she goes when you're on remote and you're in a two shot in an arena that's a little darker wear those loud ties they pick up great but when you're in a studio setting you got to tone it down a little bit because it gets a little bright and you know what it was great advice and in hindsight i'm glad that the whole incident happened
1: <laughs> yeah you're like all right all right makes sense makes sense
3: it did make <laughs> perfect sense you don't have to tell me twice i mean i'm a I'm one of those guys where if you prove it to me, if you, if you bring data and you're bringing evidence, I'm willing to listen. And their evidence was compelling.
1: That's a good motto. Um, did you, did were you, were you wearing these ties like during your playing days as well? Like were you always walking in the locker room with these crazy ties or did it start during your broadcasting career?
3: More during my broadcast career. During, I mean, it's it's not like I ever wore quiet ones, but uh, I would say the two guys that influenced me the most on the tie side of things. I don't know if you guys remember Frank Brown, who was a legendary columnist from the New York no. Daily News. I, to me, he's still the greatest hockey columnist that's ever written for a United States-based paper. Frank was awesome. And when something happened in the NHL, I couldn't wait to read Frank's column just to see what his interpretation was and how he analyzed it. Frank went on to be the PR director at the NHL for a long time. Frank used to like to wear loud ties. And then there was Mike Berger. So a couple of nice Jewish boys there. Then there was Mike Berger. Yeah, who, you know, a touch. Berger's now at Fox in in, in L.A., and. Uh, doing foot, a lot of football based stuff but he used to wear some loud ties too and you know Mike was the original editor of Goal Magazine Mike worked the PR at the league for a long time Mike was kind of a legend back then and probably one of the brightest guys I'd ever met so Frank and Mike used to wear loud ties that got me started on the loud tie thing and then being a deadhead I finally just said to myself you know what it's it's dead ties or the Garcia ties and that's it
1: <laughs> I'm a huge peacoat guy during the winter. That's like my, that's my thing. I walk into the rink. I got two different peacoats. I got the beige one. I got the black one.
3: You'd be a great scout because that's all the scouts wear. You know, that's...
1: <laughs> yeah. They, they're, they're cocoons up, up in the corner yep. with their peacoats on.
3: <laughs> black peacoat, black page boy cap and, and a notebook. That's how you can tell them. You know <laughs> why, it. right? You know why the scouts wear black?
1: So they don't, so they can't be, they don't want to be seen. Like or no?
3: That's part of it. They don't want all the coffee they spill on themselves to be seen. They if you were all black when you're standing in rings and you're trying to write and drink coffee at the same time and you're kind of drinking it out of the crook of your arm and you're spilling it all over the place. Scouts wear black just so if they spill something on themselves, nobody knows. That's the hidden little, trick of the scouting community.
0: Yeah, that's good insight. Yeah, it's a little lock,
1: <laughs> lo- locker room secret here for all you young players out there. At that's these right.
3: <laughs> the guys no. in the black are the ones you want to impress.
1: I was going to say, even though you're taught to, uh, I was always taught at least, always play as if there's somebody in the stands. But now you know if there's somebody in black in the corner.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> anybody with a notebook and anybody in the corner, those those are the guys that are keeping an eye on you.
0: It. it was always better to not know when there's people watching and fucking shit your pants out there. I
1: loved, I needed, but not I didn't need to know, but like I, I thrived off that, dude. I it. I agree. I Absolutely. Hate I hated it. Yeah.
3: And that brings Except- up an interesting point because everybody's talking now about the NHL coming back and like the effect on fans versus no fans. Like I think there are players that probably can crank their game up another level or two just with the buzz in the building and the, the intensity and the adrenaline and the pressure to perform. That I'm really intrigued at how this looks, no fans, based on what we're talking about.
1: Of course. And it's just like the UFC. I don't know if you follow a lot of UFC. I've been crazy into it lately, but... I mean, imagine fighting a guy one on one. Nobody's in the crowd, just your, your, um, your people who are in your corner and you got to go out there. Like you're hearing the commentators, they talk about this all the time. You're hearing the commentators like Joe Rogan in the background, like, oh, we just rocked them in the face. Like you're hearing them talk about this. Like I think it's going to be insane.
3: So I'm reading the paper about a month ago and one of the, one of these fighters is talking about how because there are no fans, you can hear the broadcasters. And he actually heard one of the broadcasters saying that his opponent was doing this, this, and this. And that's where he was dominating the fight. Yeah. And the guy said to himself, you know what? That's a pretty good point. If I don't start to counter this, I'm going to get my ass kicked. He goes, so I was actually listening to the commentary that made me win the fight because I kind of got a scatter report real time as to <laughs> where the other guy was doing better than I was because I didn't realize it. Like, I thought that was kind of neat. That's
0: actually crazy, yeah.
3: I I was going to say, I hope they
0: kind of, like, mic up the players. I think it would be awesome just to – Oh, that would be nuts. Yeah, if you you could just – at least, like, maybe, like, three or four guys on each team just to hear kind of the chatter. I mean, obviously, you can't air it on, like, NBC Sports because I'm sure there's going to be a ton of F-bombs.
1: You'll probably be able to hear it, Laz, honestly, like, on TV just because, like, I feel like if there's going to be nobody in the stands. You're going to be able to hit the coaches, the refs, and then probably some of the players, to be honest.
3: Uh, You better – I tell you what, if you're going to do that on TV, you better have about a 30-second delay. (laughs) So the the guy sitting in the truck can clean it up and put the beeps in because, yeah, you guys know as well as I do. There's some creative language that goes down. I'll tell you what, that creative language is filtering itself down to the youth hockey level too. I can't believe some of the things that I hear on these benches. I had U14 last year. There was some unbelievable lines.
0: (laughs) So, Dave, you'll laugh at this. So every, every, I think, January, there's this thing at at SkateSafe. I don't know if you heard about the roller hockey place in Plainview. Yep. So it's called the camp cup it's like a sleepaway camp tournament it's like a kind of like a camp reunion but there's oh, like all about that <laughs> no but these kids yeah, yeah i am. i played in it one year but these kids are like 10 years old at playing for their sleepaway camp Shit, talking the other kids i'm like this is like a sleepaway camp reunion and these kids are like dropping i out love them.
1: you equinox
0: yeah like with, with their parents like two feet away in the stands and they're like <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is. And well, we had a guy on our bench
3: this year. Some, huh? some some guy was popping off this year in a tournament game, or whatever, and squaring off and one of the kids on our bench. All of a sudden, one of the kids on our bench looks at him and says, "Hey, buddy, did your parents have any kids that lived?" And I, I mean, I almost fell over. I mean, that's oh, I was, that's just. It was a great. I mean, I'm used to adults with that line. That's a great line.
1: That's just. Oh, my goodness. That's just ridiculous. Thankfully, throughout my whole playing career, nobody's uh, dropped any Jewish jokes or anything mid-game. Only my teammates on a personal level that I allow them to.
3: <laughs> I, I agree. I have, you know, everyone's, now, here's the thing. My freshman year in Hartford, I, there were probably eight of us on that team. So, you know, we, we made up a good voting block in the locker room. But I, but I do remember a scramble in front of the net, and the puck hit me in the face, like it hit me in the cage, and then went in. And my roommate, who was also Jewish, looked at me and he said to me, he "Goes, you know, if you get hit in the nose, you really should stop it." But, from, <laughs> but, 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 which produced a smile. Like that stuff was okay. Yeah. But like, as the, I think, when it came, like I never had a problem. But you know, we would throw some ethnic jokes around the locker room. But there was such trust in our room exactly. among all of our players that it worked. So, so that was a good thing. And it probably there's always a uh,
1: there's always a level. There's always a bar. Don't yeah. never, you know, never cross the you know. Or the right. and probably,
3: right, <laughs> Yeah, and it probably increased our understanding of everybody else in the room. You know, so that was that was kind of a good thing. I, I honestly can't tell you that at any point in my career, and I might be alone in this, but I can't tell you at any point in my career where where I got J bombed and felt like I was being <laughs> you know, either persecuted or picked on, to be honest. Yeah.
0: No. Well that's that's also the best thing about the Maccabees game is you walk into a locker room and everyone's Jewish. literally the first time in my life that's ever happened.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's about the, well, the complaining level, in that room probably goes up, you know, 15% <laughs> just based on the dynamic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it's it, like, we were well, all like, looking around, like, waiting for the first person to make a it. That's them. amazing.
1: Everybody's everybody's mothers are calling them in the locker room before the game. All right, <laughs> honey, you know. I
3: told Jaffe when he went away, I said, hey, as soon as you get over there, you're going to be a couple of games into this. I said, I want to know who's the biggest hypochondriac in the room. I said, because that should establish itself really quickly. Yep. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> That is too funny. Um, so Dave, the last time we spoke, um, a lot has hop- happened in the world of college hockey. Obviously Alabama Huntsville um, yep. getting their team reinstated and the new college team, LIU baby coming in Long Island university. I'm sure you're pumped about that. Um, so of course we want to hear your comments about both of those situations.
3: I, I think the Alabama Huntsville situation is a tough one. Cause I'm not, I'm not sure where the sustainability comes from. I, I hope that it, last forever i really do i i don't think that we're in a situation where we want to lose programs so hopefully they can figure this out but you know based on the financial ravaging of of a lot of these institutions because of the covid situation you know i'm not sure where this is going to where it's going to take itself so uh, i did i did
1: i did hear that um from bolio my buddy austin bolio sorry johnny and i's a good friend Austin bolio who played for huntsville he's actually the last captain um of the team this past season, he told me that Cam Talbot's like been extremely involved, um, in I guess like the money process and the fundraising and stuff like that for Huntsville.
3: Well, you know, which is awesome. Like, I, I think if you can if you can do that and help to, to save your program, you know, that is a that's a great thing. But the you know, I, I hope it's sustainable. They're just in such a tough geographic area that that's you know, that's the main thing I worry about. And you know, the do they shake out conference wise? Is
1: Dave? You think that you, you think you think Huntsville might go to the Atlanta Conference?
3: Oh, uh, I mean, I think that, I think there's a chance that that could happen. But, but again, you're in the geographic situation. And from the standpoint of the, of the Atlantic schools, yeah, Air Force is in there. But I think the thing that makes Atlantic hockey really sustainable is that everything's a bus ride. Yeah. Hunts was a long bus ride. I mean, it was a long bus ride from Macon and, you know, we were only one state over and that felt like an eternity. So, I mean, it's not a, you know, a great direct way to get from Boston to Huntsville by bus. So so I, I wonder about it being in Atlantic. I mean, like, it's funny, the geographical fit would be the NCHC, but no disrespect to Huntsville, they wouldn't win a game in the NCHC. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's just not a good fit for them.
0: And that's why college hockey needs an SEC conference. <laughs>
3: well, they got one. It's the NCHC. <laughs> it's just well, it's a different true. location.
0: That's true.
1: Well, I was just thinking more UF. Uh, South Carolina, all these teams getting. I think the SEC teams.
3: as a college hockey conference would be off the charts. I, I'm just, I mean, with a passion for the college athletics in the South and, and I, and listen, I spent five years in the South in the minor league between one year in Atlanta, three years in Macon and one year in Memphis. Actually, I think everybody's represented up there. You know, there's Memphis right behind me, practice sweater. <laughs> yeah, I guess up in the corner. So, uh, but my time in the South was great. And you know what? It was really well supported. in, when I was in Macon, we marketed the, the team as a combination of, of high school football, NASCAR and pro wrestling. And, and the fans ate it up. I mean, they loved coming to our games. We were playing the capacity crowds for most of the last half of our first year and the, and the next two years after that. And, you know, Memphis, when they're good, they got crowds and the Atlanta Knights, I drew the Atlanta Hawks for, for a lot of their years. So, I mean, hockey in the South can work. And I think on a college campus, like, holy smokes, would that ever be cool?
1: Definitely. And then, um, what are your thoughts on LIU getting the new team? I think it's
3: been an unconventional start. I think, you know, they just, they announced it. I know that they were thinking about being at a D2 conference and, or a D3 conference, I should say, and, and playing with some of the schools in New England. I know that was some chatter. And then I. Oh, wow. Kind of I didn't broke, know that. Yeah. There was some talk about them being a D3 school and they had, they had talked to a few schools from, from what I understood from friends of mine up there. And then they just decided that with the women's team D1, they were going to crank it on the D1 side, I, I thought it was a very unconventional launch with College Hockey Inc. not even knowing about it. You know, they're the marketing arm of yeah, that college hockey. And I mean, I think they've got some challenges. You know, they, where, Where's the home rink going to be and where are they going to finally settle into and, you know, that kind of, what conference they're going to settle into. You know, they're probably going to play three years as an independent. And they go to Atlantic first. They try to get into Hockey East. That'll be building dependent. I, I've always said I thought that Philadelphia – Long Island and Chicago were three markets that needed a Division One college hockey team. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind the jury is out as to, as to how this goes. One thing I will say, they're going to be well coached. You know, the Riley, the Riley family has got great pedigree. And I think Riles, who just took over there, is going to do a wonderful job. But uh, the one thing that I do know is that they are going to need probably double the budget they've got right now to make this thing sustainable.
0: Well, I was going to say, I, I do want to comment the Rileys, obviously. I actually did play for Brett in a tournament once, and his cousin Brendan Riley was my roommate at Mercyhurst. But also I want to give a shout-out to Max Ballinson, who is a friend of the podcast, who just transferred from ASU to LIU. But as far as the home ring goes, I know he told me they're playing at Northwell, which is the Islanders' practice facility. But I was saying hopefully, I mean, I think they can draw a pretty good crowd, and maybe once the Islanders move to Belmont, they can take over Nassau Coliseum. Who knows? That building's going to be empty.
3: Well, don't, don't forget the Coliseum's going to close. Like that. Oh, the, is that's, it closed? Yeah, that's the latest out here that they're going to close the Coliseum down and then they're going to try to sell the land. That was, that was the New York Newsday a little while ago, which was disturbing to hear. I mean, them playing out of Northwall is a, is a pretty good idea. It's going to, it's going to set the youth hockey side of things over there a little bit on its ear, which has been a little bit of a problem there over the last couple of years in terms of who's got slots and when they need them and that kind of thing. And Hofstra's club team plays over there also. It's, it's a beautiful facility. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's it's in a process of kind of transforming itself as to what it was going to be into what it is now. So you get the Islanders in there, you get Hofstra Club in there, you get LIU in there. The women's team potentially goes in there too. You know, so with ice slots at a premium, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But if they're going to play anywhere. That's probably the place to play.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I, don't, I don't know how, from my perspective, I don't know how well they're going to do their first season, but. When you look at um, the amount of players, I mean, I know just some off the top of my head um, who are so talented who don't end up making it division one. And there's a lot of guys who are playing top division three and are going to transfer. Like, I mean, Johnny and I both transfer from, from division in school. So I think like there's a lot of room for them to get players, but I don't know how well they're going to do their first season.
3: I think in year one, unless they play a club schedule. You know, they're going to get their asses handed to them, but, but they should. I mean, like it's a brand new. Yeah, team. of course. It's, and it would be no shame if they did. And probably it's the best thing that could happen if they do, because you've got to fail before you can succeed. I mean, Penn State went through its ups and downs and you know, Arizona State went through its ups and downs when they played that schedule. The, you know, the biggest difference between those two schools and LIU is those two schools had established successful club programs and an infrastructure on how to run hockey. That's why I think that the LIU situation is going to be an interesting study in program building because of the fact that it's not like they were starting with something in place. They're creating as they go. And it's not it's not rocket science. You can do this. I am very intrigued to see the approach that they take. And I think it'll be a fun watch. And hopefully they create a roadmap for other programs to do it.
1: So, so Dave, the last time you were on the Locker Room Podcast um, and we had a little mishap in that later that night we had the RMU hockey awards and all of a sudden twenty minutes into the awards, boom, Dave Starman pops <laughs> up. Like, what the hell is this guy doing here? I just spoke to him two hours ago. So uh <laughs> how'd schoolie get you get you to weasel your way in for that one?
3: <laughs> oh, schools and I go back a ways. I, I love him. And and it's funny, his kid and my kid played against each other in a tournament this year. That was that was really neat. And this kid's a good little player. Yeah. Uh but Derek's a Derek is one of the real good guys. In college hockey, he's passionate about what he does. He's built a really nice program at Robert Morris, and and I just I love being around him. I mean, he's just got a great sense of humor. He's got a good hockey brain in him, and and he called me up and he just said, "Hey, we're doing this thing, and I, I'd love for you to just do something." And I, you know, I was honored. I mean, the, when you get asked by a D1 coach to address a D1 program, it's I think it's a really good thing. And you know, in the college hockey world, we always say we're all in this together. You know, if you if you try to be bigger than the game. It's the fastest way to get yourself run out of the college hockey community, and I was thrilled that he asked. Him, and he said, what, do you, "What kind of theme you want?" And we discussed a couple of things, <laughs> and I, I said, "Okay, try this." And he liked it, and said, "Great, we'll we'll take it." And you know, and I was like I said, I was just happy to be a part of it.
1: I thought, I, th- I honestly, I thought from a, a goalie a goalie standpoint, I thought you were gonna risk give me my award for uh, MVP, not to boost my own. own <laughs> humble Very humble. Very <laughs> humble. Hey, listen, humility
3: is one of those positions that we have. If you don't have inner arrogance, you don't survive. So, you know, if you do something well, let everybody know.
1: Oh, please, trust me, I do all the time. Johnny knows that.
0: (laughs) Well, Dave, I know you have to see a lot of really good college hockey players throughout the last couple years, specifically this past season. I know you have to watch, you know, Justin and I a little bit. Obviously, we had huge impacts on our
1: programs. Yeah. I
0: want to ask, who are some guys from this past college hockey season that you think might step into the NHL and make an immediate impact?
3: It's a good question because the last game I saw was March eighth. So now I really gotta think back. Oh uh,
0: I gotta give one. I think my boy Johnny Leonard's gonna have a really good time with the San Jose Sharks. I know they could use his elite scoring level with them next year.
3: You know the the what he did carrying that team down the stretch was outrageous. I mean I remember when we were we were breaking down and crunching some numbers for the Hobie and I've got a very distinct way and formula that I crunched the Hobie candidates out and my formula's been pretty good at picking the Hobie winner. And when I crunched Johnny's numbers, I mean, it, his numbers came up really, really well. And the last 10 games of the year, UMass was really depleted. And in those last 10 games, I think he had 10 goals. I think he had six over his last four games. I mean, he, he carried that team on its back when that team was fighting for points and and pairwise positioning and uh, spot in the hockey's playoffs to solidify home ice. I just thought he had a great year. And that's a great, you know, that program has come so far in the last couple of years under Greg Carvel, Jared DeMichael, and Ben Barr. It's been fun to see their ascension to power, you know, season ago, playing in a national title game, and I think this year they were poised to make a good run through the hockey's East playoffs. That's a program on the rise. So the, the Johnny Leonards and the Cale McCars and the Mario Ferraros of the world who, who have come through there the last couple of years, I, mean, I don't think they're the last group of, of stars to come through UMass, but Johnny Leonard's a kid that. With his scoring ability is going to open up some eyeballs.
0: Yeah. I mean, I got to play with John for one semester when I was there my freshman and sophomore year, but I do have to say that program literally went from, you know, the hockey's basement to the penthouse within two years. I mean, it is the way that, the way they run things there, you you literally feel like you're a professional hockey player. And, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about that program. I mean, they, you know, they gave me a good opportunity. I obviously didn't, you know, succeed with the chance I got, but, you know, I, uh, I I really admire all the things that they've done with that program. I, I mean, you know, I, I won't be surprised if they win a national championship in the next two, three years.
3: No, I'll tell you what, I'll give you another couple of guys. Uh, Dylan Sandberg at the University of Minnesota, Duluth, big defenseman. Uh, he's a draft of Winnipeg. I think he is your perfect second-pairing defenseman. The NHL level, he's a, he's, he's a lot like Jacob Truba. I don't think he's got the same mean streak, but he plays a lot like Jacob Truba does. And I, I think this is a kid who's going to make an impact on his team. I I'm really looking forward to seeing what Scott Perunovich does as an NHL player. You know, just a really fleet of foot, offensive minded defenseman who can defend as well and he's got a little bite in his game. I, I think Perunovich is going to be a neat player to watch. And Alex Turcott from the University of Wisconsin who only played one year before turning pro. I, I really think Turcott's going to, is going to have a nice career. I, his dad was in Baltimore. His dad Alfie was in Baltimore when I was there and his grandfather Real was another great hockey man who just unfortunately just passed away, but I, I think Alex Turk got to be a player to watch. He is just electric when it comes to the skill department.
1: Yeah, there's so many talented people. But, Johnny, you got to stop putting yourself down. Come on now. I transferred from Ferris. You transferred from UMass. It is what it is. You know, all situations aren't for specific people. I say it all the time, you know. Um Some people have to transfer out of those situations into a better situation. So it all happens for a reason. But they By the know, way,
3: Ferris, Ferris, one of the great unknown rinks. To the mainstream college oh, hockey fan. Please. when that place is packed and the dog pound's going wild, that is as good a place to watch a college hockey game as any. Up in, I can never pronounce the name of the wizard. The Abaglaven, is that it?
1: Yeah, the Ava The Iba, uh, I call. I mean, I, I call it the Gleaves, but uh, the Abaglaven <laughs> Ice Arena. Yeah.
3: Okay, so yeah, we call it the Iggy Pop Arena because nobody can pronounce it. But uh, but Bobby Daniels and his group up there. I mean, that's just been always. That's always a good, consistent program, and Bobby's a favorite of mine. And he and my wife. Love getting together and talking Tiger baseball. I uh, Ferris State's one of those little hidden gems uh, on the tour, no question.
1: Yeah, I will say this about the fan base at Ferris: when you're doing well, they're out in full force. When you're you're doing bad, they you will not see them at the rink. So um, <laughs> last year, Fer- last year Ferris had a bad year. Uh, you could say because they didn't have any goaltending. You could say it was other reasons. Who knows? <laughs> but I don't think the fan base was out in full force last year. So hopefully, in the future, it will be. But Dave. I know you got the USA Hockey Collared shirt on there. Um, you've been very involved in USA Hockey for a, a long period of time. Um, any new things? What's going on in the USA Hockey world? I, they did a
3: really good job with the return to play initiatives in terms of getting stuff out to the rinks and to the programs about how things need to look COVID-related in terms of spacing, in terms of locker room and no locker usage, come dressed, distance, um, create more time between ice sessions. So. Rinks can disinfect or bring their own water bottle. I mean, a lot of it was common sense and then a lot of it wasn't. So I think USA hockey did a really good job in the return to play initiative. And, you know, they've been criticized a little bit because certain areas are now have rinks open and certain don't, that has nothing to do with Colorado Springs. That's state local that, you know, that has nothing to do with the, with the federation. So, but, but I think through this time, this has been a really tough time for, for USA hockey and, and many of the other federations because this is the time where you make a lot of money in your registrations and who knows who's coming back and what programs are coming back and what rings are coming back even. So it's a, it's a hard time, but I will say they've been very aggressive in continuing to, to push the coaching education program. That's the part of it that I'm involved in the most is player development and coaching development. And on the coaching development side, you know, wow, they continue to evolve, to make sure that the coaches that are out there have a great ability to continue to develop as coaches, have the resources that they need, the resources for goaltending. I've never been as good goalie nation is alive and well with the USA hockey. We are doing such great things to help the non goalie learn how to coach his goalies and be good at it and be confident at it and be an asset. Cause not every organization's got the ex goalie laying around where you can roll them out and have them help kids. So my feeling is everybody's got to be a goalie coach. Cause you know, as well as I do, there are a lot of ex goalies out there that are coaching other positions and doing a great job. I mean, like, Here's the funny thing. I'm Mr. Goalie guy. I cranked out more defensive than I've cranked out goalies. And yeah. But I take that as a badge of pride because I had to venture outside my comfort zone and work in a different position. I do think coaches have to start doing that. And the coaching education program for goalies right now is off the chart. It's the best in the world and continues to evolve. So if there's anything USA Hockey has done really well over the last three, four months of the pandemic, it has been what they've done in the coaching education program. And the CICs and the ADM guys deserve a lot of credit.
1: Definitely. I mean, and hopefully rinks start to open up around the country more and more. I know the rinks down here opened up like a month ago. So I've been able to skate like three times a week, which is phenomenal. I needed, I missed, you know, I missed the season, of course. Uh, but you mentioned goalies as, as great coaches I want to give a shout out to Taylor Nelson, who's with Canisius right now. He was a big part of the reason why I went to Ferris and why I was considering going there in the first place. So, I mean, he's a great guy and look at him. He's, he's a great coach over, over there.
3: They've had some great goalies come through first. Pat Nagel's another one. Pat and I have done a lot of work together in the, in the USA program at the, at the select camp, the national camp. Yes. Funny story about Taylor Nelson, by the way. I'm MCing the ACHA banquet a couple of years back, the Words banquet in Naples. And I'm telling a story about Tim Taylor because Tim had just passed away and Timmy and I had done a lot of scouting together. And there was one year I'm, I can't remember, it was 2012, 2013. I think it was 12 and Austin Zarnick of Miami University was. Was trying to earn one of the last spots on the world junior team. And Timmy and I were at Ferris watching him play. And he off a of face off. Guy drew a puck back. He took the puck on his backhand from the top of the circle and snapped it top shelf over Nelson's shoulder. And I mentioned Nelson in the story. So as he snapped and he goes, it, it goes right over Taylor Nelson's shoulder. And Timmy and I looked at each other and said, he's in. Well, Nelson was there. <laughs> I didn't know that. So Taylor comes up to me after the thing and said, thanks for calling me out. I didn't recognize. I wasn't sure who he was. Then he introduced himself, and needless to say, I bought a lot of drinks for Taylor and the Ferris State staff that night. But he took it really well.
1: For the listeners that don't know Taylor, just look up Johnny Grudrow National Championship game goal.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So two famous goals that we can associate with him giving up. But he had a nice career at Ferris
1: (laughs) <laughs> oh, great! Great career. I'm pretty sure yeah, he was, an, he was an, all, an all-American, if I'm not mistaken. He took yep. them to the national championship game. Uh, I think their he only national all- championship game, uh, actually. So, which is pretty great.
3: Absolutely, yeah, he he was special. He did a great job there.
1: So, Dave, I know you're excited. It's time for another installment of the Matzo ball minute questions. I know you know how this goes. I'm not even going to explain it. I'm going to get right into it. <laughs> Go get them. Potato latkes or matzo ball soup.
3: They're both really high in calories. I would go with the matzo ball soup. <laughs> but here's the thing. I've got to make the soup. I don't care who makes the matzo ball, but it's got to be my chicken soup.
1: Okay. Well, you, make, you make a mean chicken soup? You got you your own oh, recipe now? Oh, listen,
3: that's – hey, that's going to be my contribution to Jewish life is my chicken soup.
1: <laughs> yeah, you probably I've stole have cured from, more uh, colds. Than, <laughs> I've
3: cured more colds than Tylenol. Trust me.
1: You big uh, you big food uh, Food Network guy. You watch a lot of Food Network or what?
3: No, I don't. I it's I, I don't have as much time to to watch as as I would like to. But everybody raves about some of the shows that are on there.
1: Oh yeah, phenomenal. Um, I found a great about, kosher I'm deli going.
3: in Denver on the Food Network though. That I'll tell you. What's that? Show? Like dives and. Oh, triple D or...
1: diners, Driving, and dives. Get in
3: That's it. Yeah, I I got exposed to a great kosher deli on the, I think on the western side of Denver just That's through that
1: show. Yep. That's where it's at speaking of delis diner or delicatessen
3: you know i do love the laurel diner in long beach it's a great oh, spot oh, Sorry.
1: is it still there tell me it's still there yeah it used to be a movie
3: theater and oh the best the milkshakes
1: dave oh, oh my that god place used is outrageous. To go late night unbelievable
3: yeah but however the Lido beach kosher deli is pretty good too uh i'm a big chicken guy and kosher chickens too dry for me so i'm gonna go diner
1: i love it i just miss a nice bacon egg and cheese on a roll i talk about this all <laughs> the time it's so fucking good Continuing on with the food, roast beef or a corned beef sandwich? You walking into a deli? What are you having?
3: Oh God! You know what? I it would be roast beef over corned beef for sure, but I'm I'm gonna go off the board and tell you I'd probably get a chicken cutlet.
2: Okay. Yeah,
0: with Russian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's my sandwich. I love a, I love Russian dressing on everything. Geno's in Long Beach or Prince Street Pizza in New York City?
3: That's a good one. I would go with Gino's. And what's
1: interesting about Geno's, first of all, anybody who's ever
3: lived in Long Beach for any period of time who have been there, they all know Geno's, right? But the of course. the funniest one was when Red Berenson was playing for the Rangers back in the late 60s, he lived in Long Beach. They weren't even, they were practicing New Hyde Park at the time in Iceland, but most of the players lived in Long Beach. And I'm talking to Red, like, it's gotta be 10 years ago. And Red was telling us about living in Long Beach and he goes, is the pizza place across the street from the train station <laughs> still there? And I'm like, God, yeah he goes what was the name of it Gino's I'm like I cannot believe you remember that and that <laughs> yeah. was that was 68 <laughs> that he lived there
1: the thing I love about Gino's is you can go in it's your typical place you can go in you can get a slice whatever but then they also have or at least when I was there they have the the other side of it which is like a nice sit-down restaurant which yeah. is, which is which is I think it's great no and they, they got some they, good food as well
3: yeah their food's good they're, they're they're solid
1: elite Sicilian slice Ooh. yep you heard it here first <laughs> Uh, World Juniors or the NCAA tournament?
3: You know, that's a great question. It's when I've been asked that before. And I, I do like the NCAA tournament is to me, it's a culmination of a lot of our year's work, but the World Junior tournament to me is the most special tournament on the planet. And I say that even more so than the Olympics, because first of all, it's it's national pride and that's always a big deal. Uh, second of all, to me, half of the kids playing in the World Junior tournament are going to play in the NHL. I mean, it's like, they're that good. So it's the elite 17 and 18 and 19 year olds. You get that occasional great 16 year old, like an Austin Matthews or a Rosmus Stalin that that come in two years before their draft year, and it's it's fun to see how they stack up against that birth year group. And uh, the question being, can you dominate your birth year group? I I, I always think that's a big kick. But to me, I, I find the World Junior Tournament to be the like the NCAA tournament on steroids. Uh, I like him from a broadcast perspective because I'm in the booth, I'm the analyst, and that's what I like to do. But I, I have not been disappointed in any of the now 12 World Juniors that I have done. I mean, they have just been off the charts intense once you get into the medal run.
0: I get chills every every year when I listen to Gordon Miller on, on the call for the World
3: Juniors. I think he's unbelievable. Well, hold on a second. Now, what the hell are you doing listening to Gordy and not listening to me and the play-by-play <laughs> du jour for that year?
0: Well, oh, he come on, he's he's so like, out with you. No, no disrespect to you. I I love listening <laughs> to you. I, but I'm just Gordon Miller is just you know,
3: he's. Awesome. I, I agree. Gordy's outrageous. Gordy and Ray do a great job. And Gordy and Pierre were doing it together when I first started. And Pierre was awesome to me at helping me get acclimated to what the World Junior Tournament was and the dynamics of it, and how it works as a TV product. I mean, like Pierre was phenomenal when I first started doing that thing. For me, it's it's a it's like I owe him a debt of gratitude to this day because. He really helped me get started as, you know, on that kind of side. But, uh, yeah, Gordie and Pierre did it. Now it's Gordie and Ray and Gordie and Ray are great. So, you know, we only do the U.S. games. So unless the U.S. is playing, the U.S. audience is getting Gordon Miller and Ray Ferraro. And uh, to me, those guys are awesome.
2: Well, we'll, we'll
0: pump your tires back up a little bit. I didn't mean to take a <laughs> out there at
3: you. No, no, no. I was, I'm playing with you. I think <laughs> and Ray are great. Like I really do. All of a sudden and Ray call a, call a pond hockey match. I mean, those two guys are awesome. <laughs>
1: Come on, Laz, you've got to support the tribe. What are you doing here? You know that. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of NCAA, though, Dave, um, I know a lot of people got their favorites for next season whenever it starts back up. So I'm going to ask you, who is your favorite to win the NCAA tournament next year? And who's one team, maybe a sleeper, that you think is going to make a splash possibly in the NCAA tournament?
3: All right, well, Boston College should never be a sleeper, but they are rounding back into form. And I think that that role will probably continue to the point where bc becomes one of those teams that we're talking about next year and you know february is is one that's poised to to make a run through the the ncaa tournament north dakota's got a lot of unfinished business and they're a team that i think this year you know if they didn't win it we're going to be sitting right there and be close to it and next year with what they've got coming in and versus what they graduated that team could be better than it was this year and that's a scary thought the goaltending was was great um they made a switch midway through the year, but they didn't miss a beat. So they got two goalies who can really play. They, they've got depth. They got a tremendously gifted offensive senior line of Colin Adams in the middles, an Islander pick. You got Grant Mishmash on the wing. I think he's Nashville. And then you got the highly sought-after free agent, and Jordan Karaguchi on the right. They got a back end that can really go. And their goaltending is good. I mean, North Dakota is going to be a bear to handle next year. Yeah, plus Shane Pinto, a Long Island boy. I try to forgot about Shane, who had a World Junior Tournament that, you know, he'll remember for the rest of his life. And, God, was he good.
1: Shout out uh, uh Parker Mismash, Grant Mismash's brother, eh, Johnny?
0: Yeah, played with him in junior. Great guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> great guy. Maybe not as good as his brother, but great guy off the ice. Um, That's what that wraps oh it does right I always I always say that you know the kid might not be uh, the best on the ice but boy is he a great human being off the ice
2: off ice captain as, for sure as long, that's
3: it as long as there's something good you got something
0: so Dave to wrap up each interview we like to ask our guests the same question I know you uh, have a pretty deep answer for this one so if you could talk to the 15 year old Dave
3: Starman what kind of advice would you give him I would say don't be as cocky as you were you know be, be humility can take you a long way when you sometimes when you grow up in this area, you grow up in Queens or you grow up in Long Island or Brooklyn, whatever, you're kind of born with a little bit of a swagger. That's a little different. And uh, I think that that might've gotten me into trouble more than it helped me as I navigated my way through some of the opportunities that, that I might've had. So I would say that to the younger me, you know, be a little bit more humble and, and kind of go with the flow. And the other thing I would say to myself is be in better shape. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it was ever emphasized to our group in that time in New York, how important, you know, overall training was. I mean, we, we did what we did, but I'm not so sure it was emphasized. Like I, I surfed a ton and played summer sports and, you know, skated during the summer, whatever. But I don't think anybody ever drilled down on me about how important it was for complete body conditioning. And uh, I can't ever tell you I was the best conditioned athlete. I worked hard, but I can't say I, I had more of a Billy Smith body than anything. And. I, I would say, so those were the two things, you know, a little bit more humble and and probably have been in better shape. And that might've been able to open up some doors that I might've closed on myself.
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. great answer. Very, very open and honest. I mean, like you said,
0: I, I grew up eating five guys and, you know, you like, know, we, we, right. we just didn't know any better, you know, like, so. Mm-hmm. Was...
3: Yeah. Gino's with health food back then. Yeah, seriously. But uh,
0: <laughs> We want to thank you again so much. This is awesome. It's always, you know, a blessing to talk to you. And uh, we can't wait to definitely have you back on once, you know, hockey presumes.
3: Absolutely. Sounds great. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'll change some of the jerseys around for the next one.
1: Sounds good. Love that. Thanks, Dave.
3: You got it. Thanks, boys.
1: I want to thank Dave Starman so much. He's, he's a star. He's a man. He's a star <laughs> in our eyes. No, but we really want to do thank Dave so much for coming on. Unfortunately, we didn't get a, an interview ourselves during our college careers, which I'm pretty upset about because I was a stud throughout college, as we know. But <laughs> um, nonetheless. A little chuckle after. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs>
0: nonetheless, it was great. Yeah, I really want to thank Dave. Obviously, we've you know, had somewhat, somewhat of a relationship with him throughout our, well, I guess not really throughout our college career, but throughout the <laughs> last couple of months, uh, we were, I mean, I wasn't good enough personally to, to talk to him during my college career, but happy we were able to get him on. Um, just a, you know, a great brain, great, great personality for college hockey and um, definitely need more guys
1: like him that can make college hockey a little more popular. Yeah. I'm going to throw my buddy, one of my buddies under the bus too. My buddy, Freddie Caston um, sent me a message and was just like, Oh, you got this guy coming on. I'm like, yeah, we love Dave. Why? And he was like, this guy's the what do you, I sent it to you. What do you say? This guy's the Eddie Olchek of World Juniors or something like that. What do you say? The, Pierre, no, the Pierre. the Pierre of World Juniors. Like, I don't know if that's an insult or a comment or what. I,
0: I, I like yeah, that's Pierre. what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, I like
1: Pierre. I love Pierre. I'm like, if he's the Pierre, I'm like, dude, that's like a huge, tremendous comment. So um, I love my boy Freddie, but fuck you, Freddie. Don't shit on <laughs> our boy Dave.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Dave's a sweetheart. But I actually, funny story, I was actually talking to Dave a little bit today. And I know we mentioned it in the interview, we talked about Stan Fischler and how he worked at Cosby's and everything. And I was looking for like an old binder I found in my closet. And I actually found the picture that Stan Fischler signed for me when I uh, went to Cosby's. Oh my God, Jason Tatum. Overtime. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. We got the, I I bet the Miami Heat tonight, they just, Jason Tatum just missed the buzzer beater. So we're going OT. But, uh, Oh yeah. Was I saying Stan Fischler, Cap? Yes. Yes. It was very cool to, to go through old stuff and, see the picture Stan Fisher actually signed for me when I was like a 10 year old kid when he gave me his book uh Dave could have been in the store too which is pretty cool oh 100
1: nonetheless though Dave's had so many like good stories to tell and I mean he just told a few to to us on the on the podcast and and for you guys to hear but I mean even like when we were talking off the podcast and like before the interview and stuff like that I mean this guy just has stories on top of stories on top of stories so um for us to get the chance to pick his brain for an hour or so um, it, was, it was definitely uh, an honor for sure. Hopefully we get to see Dave back on TV in the, in the fall and the winter if hockey
0: comes back or college hockey comes back. Um, it's pretty up in the air right now, but they're saying there should be When a it comes day.
1: back, John, Yeah, yeah,
0: we're, we're optimistic. Back. We're optimistic on here. But, um, you know, I'd love to see Dave on TV again. And speaking of TV, we want to take a quick second to talk about our sponsor, Dude Robe. NFL's back. The playoffs are going on in the NBA and NHL. Perfect timing to go to www.duderobe.com and get your very own dude robe for 20% off with our promo code LACA. I promise you there's nothing better than a Sunday afternoon sitting on the couch, hands on your nuts in a dude robe. It's the comfiest thing you can wear. I
1: love it. I'll tell you what, I I risk getting in trouble to wear my dude robe. I got yelled at by my hockey coach because I took a picture of me and my dude robe in the locker room. That's how much (laughs) I love my dude robe. So go out and buy yours. No, they definitely are.
0: I actually did slept that, in mine the other night, to be honest. Did you? Yeah, I woke, I woke up in like a really sh- like hot sweat, and I was like, like shit. Like I don't want to change my sheets. I'll just throw on the dude robe and go yeah, to sleep. So you're, I throwing the old, yeah, you're just
1: throwing the old doozy. You don't want to yeah. put some boxers on. You don't want to throw throwing the old dudesie. That's exactly what I did. But please don't forget about Rosh Hashanah this weekend. You got to get all the freshest stuff. Get your bagels. Get everything out there because you don't want to be the loser at your Rosh Hashanah dinner who brings a dry bagel or some shitty-ass locks. <laughs> also, we should note that we got Lindsay Metzlar from We Met
0: at Acme taking over our Instagram page this Friday. Hopefully, she gives us some good Rosh Hashanah content and some other good dating advice maybe. I know maybe Maxie could use it a little more than me and Cap. We got the, the girlfriend for a long time. But uh, definitely follow along for Lindsay. She's awesome. We love her, and I think she's going to crush the, the Instagram takeover.
1: Yeah, and keep letting us know about um, like who you guys want us to, to, to get for these um, takeovers because we love them and we hope you guys keep enjoying them too because our guests have been absolutely killing it. So we're gonna keep getting them on, um, and it just worked out perfectly that Lindsay could take over for Russia Sana. So I mean, Mazel tough for that. But um, everybody have a great holiday this weekend. Stay safe. Listen to the locker room. Love you guys. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. We, we,